This is a Thinkers 50 podcast, brought to you in partnership with the Brightline Initiative, bridging the gap between strategy development and implementation. Today I'm talking with Susan David, a psychologist on the faculty of Harvard Medical School, co-founder and co-director of the Institute of Coaching at the McLean Hospital, an author of Emotional Agility, Management Idea of the Year, according to the Harvard Business Review, and an international bestseller. Susan, welcome. Thank you so much for having me here. Tell me about the genesis of the book. Well, the book itself focuses on the role of emotions in our everyday lives and how emotions can impact on our effectiveness for better or worse. And so really what the book does is it explores how we get hooked by our emotions in ways that take us away from living and working in a way that is intentional and values-based and is really a roadmap to how we can better understand our thoughts, our situations, and to make effective decisions in those contexts. So how do you define emotional agility? Emotional agility at its core is the ability to be able to be with difficult thoughts, emotions, and situations in ways that are compassionate, uh, in ways that are courageous, and in ways that are curious, and to still make decisions that are concordant with who we want to be. So really, these skills are incredibly important to every aspect of how we love, how we live, how we parent, and how we lead. Is it universal or impacted by different cultural and and social norms? So what we know about uh, emotions and emotional skills is that our experience of human emotions is largely universal. So across cultures, for example, people experience sadness in the same way. Boys and girls experience emotions in the same way. But what starts to happen in different cultures is we start to explore what we know of as display rules. So for example, boys don't cry is a display rule. Or in an organization that says, you know, yes, we're just stressed, but we're just going to get on with it and we're going to avoid what is going on. Um, That is a display rule. So these are, are universal experiences that then get shaped in different ways by display rules within cultures, within gender and within organisations. And there's four key concepts you talk about in the book. The first one I can master, which is showing up. Yeah. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, just, you know, some, some background in terms of why I became interested in these ideas, and I think it'll give some context as to why I talk about these four ideas. Um, I first became interested in these ideas of emotional agility when I grew up in apartheid South Africa. So when I was growing up, uh, your chance, for example, as a female of being raped was higher than your chance of learning how to read and write. So it was this very... Uh, legislated idea of um, hate and divisiveness that was the context in which I was growing up. And so from a very early age, I became interested in this core question, what does it take internally in the way we deal with our thoughts, our emotions, and our stories that helps us to thrive in the world? We know as leaders, for example, that um, all leaders have good intentions about being inclusive or about being giving good feedback. And yet what stops us from being effective is often the thoughts, emotions, and stories. I feel stressed. I feel avoidant. um, I'm being undermined here. And so from a very early age, I became interested in this question, what does it take internally to enable us to thrive in a world in which life's beauty is inseparable from its fragility? 
And of course, decades later, you know, now speaking to you in London, we are experiencing as leaders in organizations unprecedented complexity. So this question of what does it take to thrive is pervasive and critical. The ideas that I talk about in emotional agility, I talk about four key concepts. The first is this idea of showing up. Um, we grow up in a world, we live in a world that tells us to be positive all the time. And yet when we are only focused on being positive or just getting on with things, often what we do is we deny the idea that our emotions actually contain critical information about things that we care about. When I'm being undermined at work, or when I am angry that an idea was stolen, that tells me that I care about issues, for example, of equity and fairness. And so showing up is about this idea that instead of denying your difficult emotions or saying, I'm unhappy in my job, but at least I've got a job, that we gain critical insights into the world and into how to adapt when we show up to our emotions, when we name our emotions, we label our emotions, and when we recognize that our emotions, while uncomfortable, may often contain information that's important to our agility and thriving. So that's the first part of emotional agility, this showing up part. And the second one, stepping out. What, what do you mean by that? So stepping out is the idea that as human beings, we often get hooked by our emotions and our thoughts. We'll say something like, I'm being undermined in this meeting, I may as well shut up. Or um, I want to give this person feedback, I know that I should give them feedback, but uh, I feel uncomfortable, so I'm just going to avoid it. So what so often starts to happen is our thoughts, our emotions, and our stories start to dominate our actions rather than who we want to be, our values, our intentions. And so the idea of stepping out is that a core part of our human psychology is the ability to recognize, you know, who's in charge here, the thinker or the thought. And when we are hooked by our emotions, when we're hooked by our thoughts, it's the emotion or the thought that's in charge. And we've all experienced this as humans, as leaders, as parents, we've all experienced this. So stepping out is the ability to create space between you and your thought recognizing that you have a thought, but you are not your thought. And so you get to make choices about how you want to be, who you want to act in this context. So that's showing up and stepping out. What's, what's the third concept? The third idea is what I call walking your why. It's walking with a South African accent. So this idea of taking steps that are values congruent. Again, we are subject, especially in context of complexity, to what is called social contagion. Social contagion is the idea when everyone's stressed, we become stressed, or when everyone's being avoidant, we become avoidant. When there's change going on in the organization, we may get worried or struggle to act in ways that are actually accordant with who we want to be as leaders, who we want to be as individuals. And so we know that we are all subject to this idea of social contagion. You know, a simple example is imagine you are trying to make health changes, so you're trying to lose weight. If you go on an airplane and your seat partner, who you don't even know, buys sweets on that flight, you are 30% more likely to buy sweets on the flight. We all subtly pick up other people's behaviors and other people's emotions. And so 
we start asking ourselves, what is it that protects us as individuals? What is it that enables us to have a compass that says, well, everyone else is acting in this way, but who do I want to be as a leader? And we know that this idea of having front and center a sense of your values, your why becomes critical. So every day we get hundreds of opportunities to make moves that are towards our values or away from our values. Do I um, shut down in the meeting? Or do I allow that person's voice in? Do I choose the muffin? Or do I choose the fruit? We all get hundreds of opportunities. And so what I explore in this third part of emotional agility is that even though values are often seen as being a cynical, um, roll your eyes, something that an organization promotes, in fact, values become fundamental to us as individuals in protecting us and enabling us to live a life that is connected with who we truly want to be in the world in all aspects of our lives. And the, fo the fourth concept you talk about is called walking on. Can you, can you explain it's, that? So this idea of moving on is that so often in management ideas and so often even in career advice, people talk about change as being large scale. You know, you upset or in a career that isn't working for you, you need to completely change your career. You need to sell up and go live on a farm somewhere, you know, out in the open. So this idea that change comes in big inspirational packages is actually not borne out by the research. What we know from the research is that tiny tweaks that actually often evoke discomfort in us is the most powerful way of starting to create real change in our lives. So what are some shifts that you can make that are values aligned shifts to how you're approaching your job or to the projects that you're putting your hand up for or not putting your hand up for. We know that these small changes actually have a huge impact. So let me give you one example. In my book, I talk about the difference between have two goals versus want two goals. Very often in organizations, leaders say things like, I have to go to another meeting. I have to give this person feedback. Um, I have to, you know, be on dad duty today. We all, we all surround ourselves by have to goals. And what happens is the power of language. When we have a have to goal, we often crawl into that language and it becomes a prison, creates a sense of resentment in ourselves. If we can instead surface what is the want to goal, what is the values aligned goal that sits beneath us. So for example, um, I don't have to be on dad duty. I actually see how this incredibly important time with my children is so precious. What you do is you're shifting this have to goal into a want to goal. Or I value fairness. How fair is it if I don't give feedback to the person? How fair is it to the team? How fair is it to the organization? How fair is it to me? When you start surfacing values-aligned want-to goals, what it does is it becomes incredibly freeing and we know is associated with sustained and a greater likelihood 
of behavior change. So that's just one example, but I talk about how we can create values aligned changes to our habits, to our mindset and to our motivations. And where does the research go next? I mean, the, the emotional agility of the book has been a, a, a great success. What, what are you working on now? Well, my, my passion is really bringing the science of emotions and behavior and motivation into organizations. I am still stunned by how pervasive in organizations the idea, even though we don't talk about it in this way, how there is a fear of feelings at work. You know, when people are upset, there's often this idea that we should just get on with it, that we should just be positive. And so emotions are still seen as being these bad things in organizations that need to be pushed aside, that need to be controlled. And I truly believe that we are undermining our ability in organizations to be innovative, to be resilient, uh, to be powerful, to be growth-oriented when we are in this mindset. Um, innovation comes with failure. That brings with it difficult emotions. Complexity brings with it a often a want to um, be competitive and to create us and them and silos and so on. And so I truly believe that only when we more naturally bring the science of human emotions and motivation into organizations will we get real innovation. Um, and so that's my passion at the moment, you know, this idea that every organization talks about agility. And yet, how do we have organizational agility unless the individuals in the organization are agile? And yet, most organizations are not exploring those ideas, and that's what I am focused on. Susan David, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is a Thinkers 50 podcast, brought to you in partnership with the Brightline Initiative, bridging the gap between strategy development and implementation.